We are back in our series. Last week, if you were with us, we did our worship together with uh, Mauricio and Northwest Espanol. Mauricio did a great job extolling the faithfulness of our God. Amen? Amen. Yeah, let's give it up for Northwest Espanol and Mauricio, the faithfulness of God to that congregation, part of our congregation to the Spanish-speaking portion of our people. God has been faithful. They have been with us throughout this whole pandemic as well. They are actually worshiping in the uh, youth facility upstairs here and uh, have been doing that for some time. So if you see them passing in the halls, um, encourage them and tell them the Lord is with them. Well, we are in our series in Acts, the power of God, as we see the Holy Spirit manifesting himself in the people of God, the church. Amen? And so when we see Acts, we get excited to see what God wants to do in and through his people. Now, a reminder, right before Acts, Jesus has resurrected, he is resurrected from the dead. He dies on the cross for sins and then resurrects from the dead. And he meets with his disciples, his followers of Jesus. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit does come in power and the presence of God now dwells in his people. The presence of God comes into the place in which they are gathering for prayer and manifests itself in tongues of fire. And the, the disciples now see this and the tongues of fire indwells them and they are speaking these languages on the earth, proclaiming the mighty works of God at what we would call Pentecost, where people from all over the world are gathered together. And people are like, whoa, what is going on here? What are these people babbling about in these languages? Some say these people are drunk, and Peter clarifies it's only nine in the morning. These people are not drunk. And he gets up to preach a sermon. Yes, this is the same Peter in which 50 days earlier denied Christ. And he explains the plan of God through the word of God and tells the crowd about Jesus, which gospel-centered preaching does, spirit-filled preaching does, centers around Christ. And Peter calls them to repentance, this Jesus whom you crucified has risen and the Lord and has made Lord and Messiah. And now we see 3000 people coming to Christ after they this sermon they are cut to the heart and they repent and are baptized and now the church begins. They are part of the body of Christ. This is amazing when we read this when we study this, when we look at, see how God is working through his church. And now we see these spirit-filled people gathering together as the church, the body of Christ. 
Remember, the church is the gathering of those who are called out for a specific mission or a purpose. Not a religious institution, it's a movement in which the people of God come together to spur one another toward love and good works and are sent out into the world to proclaim this gospel. And so what we're going to look at today is the early church. Spirit-filled believers in living in spirit-filled community. A body of Christ centered around Christ and the gospel. Community, which we'll see this morning, only happens through the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is no place on the earth in which people of different ages, people of different backgrounds, people of different political affiliations, people of different ethnicities can come together and be unified around a specific purpose and the mission like the church. And I believe God is doing something incredible here at Northwest Baptist and through our community groups and through the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. If you're not experiencing this type of community this morning, let me encourage you that you can. And this is how the church ought to operate. Let's see what God has to say according to his word this morning. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we'll begin there, we'll read through 47. I have not welcomed our online audience this morning. Thank you for being with us, online audience. We appreciate you. We're thankful that you are gathering together with us online. If you'll stand in honor of reading of God's word in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord to come and speak to us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is truth, that it speaks to us. And Father, we thank you for the example of the early church that has spirit-filled leaders and spirit-filled believers, and they come together, Father, to commune with you and one another. And Father, we ask that you would bring about that unity through the Spirit, 
that you brought in the early church, that gathering of believers is not focused on themselves, not focused on what they want or desire, but focused upon you and what you want. Father, this morning, help us to cleanse our hearts and our minds to hear from you, your spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us in the areas that we need conviction, that we would set our minds on the things that are above and not on earthly things. Father, give us the truth of your word. Help us to see how you see one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, one of the things, uh, we're, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, but one of the things that you look back on in the, the previous few months, and some of us are still in this moment, but we look back, especially in March and April, when we opened our calendar, we saw a blank space. There was nothing on the calendar. No sports events, no thunder games, no birthday parties, no family gatherings, just blank space. Some of you are still there, others have started to fill your calendars. But I hope for some of us, and and certainly for our family, we slowed down. We got a chance to realize that there are certain things in our life that are more important than others. One of those things I hope and my prayer for you as your pastor is that your relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth is the most important thing in this life. The God who comes to dwell in his people. And I hope that as a result of the spirit of the living God coming to live inside of his church, his people, you craved to hear the gospel. I know, I know certainly for me, I craved to be in the word. I craved to hear from the Lord. And I hope that you crave to speak with him as you looked at your blank calendar and realized there's really nothing more important than this. The other aspect of your life that I hope you realize that you need or is more important is one another or genuine community people who you deeply care about, people who deeply care about you. 
So I hope you prayed. I hope you sprinted to your Zoom groups. I hope you called your friends in your groups and you talked real talk. This was my prayer. I know for me, this was my experience through COVID. A deep desire for the word, a deep desire for community. Not a, hi, how are you? But really, how are you? And I've noticed people begin to open up as their life has gone more and more simple. They realize that the, the, the feelings in their own hearts, in their own minds, they begin to, to, to burst forth and say, I'm really not okay. I've been masking it with all of these events and activities and I'm really not okay. And I pray that you are able to speak the word of God to one another, encouraging one another through the gospel of Christ, speaking truth to your brothers and sisters in your community groups. Let me tell you this, the Christian life is not meant to walk alone. The church, this church, is filled with mature Christians who would love to lay down their plans and their time to walk alongside of you. All you have to do is ask, really. But guess what the enemy wants to do? When I read this passage, I think about this. The enemy wants to be like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. And this is what predators do with sheep. They try to isolate the sheep. They try to, to take away the hurting or the broken ones who can be separated from the flock and devour them. To our people online as well. The enemy wants you to be isolated. He wants you to be outside of the flock. He wants you to feel as if no one cares for you so that he can devour you. Let's look at what the spirit-filled community looks like in the early church. I've always read this passage with the thought in mind of teaching someone what the church is. Here's eight things that a church does according to Acts 2. But remember, Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. There's simply more here to this than a blueprint or a strategy for a church. When we read this, we ought not to just say, here's what we do. But we should stand in awe and wonder and amazement of how awesome our God is. And as a result, we should get on our knees and say, Lord, what do you want from me today? How can I walk as you want me to walk? It shouldn't be, man, I wish that I had this kind of community or my community group leader is not leading like this or I don't really like my community group, but rather, how can I be so in tune with the spirit of the living God that he allows me to impact someone else's life today? Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says, it is grace, nothing but 
grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. Grace, nothing but grace. What does that mean? That means you're not deserving of perfect community. (laughs) Can I get an amen for that? (laughs) We are not deserving of perfect community. We are not deserving of perfect church. We are not deserving of perfect pastors. We are not deserving of perfect community group leaders. We are not deserving of having every person in our community group encourage us. And yet, in God's grace, he gives us some of those things. And we get to experience just a taste of what it will be like in heaven just for a moment on this earth. So for any experience that we have, we should be thankful for the experience that we have. Verse 42, this is where you're gonna get your points because this is where the points come from this morning. In verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and, pay, and prayers. Obviously, you have four points. I broke it up into three points just for you to be able to taste. No, for me. No, well, it's probably for you, maybe for me. I'm not sure, but we have three points this morning. There are four key things that believers devoted themselves to. These four things... Why? Because the spirit of the living God lives inside of them. All the other things you see in this passage are results of their devotion or giving themselves to what? The apostles' teaching or the word of God, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. So let's deal with the first one this morning, the apostles' teaching. This is our first point this morning. Spirit-filled churches devote themselves to the word of God. Spirit-filled churches devote themselves to the word of God. Hearing the word, okay, that's why we've sent out our, our guide in preparing for and responding in worship. So we pray that our people have been prepared to hear the word of God that morning. They understand some of the passage and the context in which we're preaching. They may have even talked about it in their community group prior to coming to the service. And then after the service, they even talk about it with their family or their community group. They ask themselves application questions. They deal with the scripture. They are devoted to the word of God. The apostles, they're teaching. What are they teaching? They're teaching Christ. They're teaching what Christ taught, what Christ did, the gospel message. 
Some of the apostles wrote down these things according to the word, and we have them in the New Testament as the word of God. They were teaching by the stories and the words of Christ through the remembrance of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How are these apostles teaching everything that Christ taught? The Holy Spirit. That's how the apostles are teaching everything that Christ taught. These teachings are no doubt centered upon Christ and the gospel message. Peter, in which we discussed two weeks ago, on on a Christ-centered sermon, a spirit-filled sermon. He teaches from the Old Testament. He shows how the word of God is prophesying about Christ who is coming and how he died for sinners and that we must repent and believe upon him. They're preaching the gospel and they are devoted to this. Meaning they have given themselves to it. Not because it is on a to-do list but because the spirit of the living God has given them that desire to be devoted to the word of God. They have embraced the gospel and are filled with the spirit. You say, Rob, well, you know, I'm really struggling devoting myself to the word of God. It's really difficult for me to get into God's word. It's really difficult for me to even concentrate during your 45-minute sermons, it's really difficult for you, for me to hear the Word of God on a regular basis. It is a gospel problem. It is not a get-better problem. Need to do better. That is not the issue. It is a heart issue. It is a gospel issue. When we understand the grace of God, when we understand who God is, when we understand what Christ has given to us through the salvation that we have been given, we understand the almighty power of God which we sung about. His creation, his majesty. We will want to know this God. Thus, we will be devoted to his word, to the teaching of his word, listening to his word, reading his word. You see, the devotion to the word comes about from a transformed heart, which is done through the spirit of the living God. So if we have a a problem with the word of God, it is a gospel issue. Their early church devoured what was being taught. Salvation was a gift from heaven. I mean, it, it came outside of you. If, you. if you look back to the fire of tongues, they're outside of the apostles. And we need the word of God, the truth of God's word to come inside of us, into our heart, so that we can Apply that and and do the work of God. You see, this is very opposite about what the world says. The world says you have too many things from the outside holding you back. You must seek your inner beauty that comes out to discover yourself. 
Christianity says, no, you're dead and you need a heart transplant. You're dead in your transgressions and sins. And you need Christ and the word and the gospel to come inside of your heart and transform you. Christ makes you alive by grace through faith. A New York Times article interviewed a psychologist who had been practicing for 18 years. She was talking about how her clientele was decreasing in her practice. She said, you know, many people used to come in and say, you know, I have a problem, I'm depressed, I, I, I need to be fixed, I have an issue, and, and she says, and, and, and I want to change. And she said, now, people are saying, I need someone or something else to change. You get that, you get that slight difference? I need a change, I, I'm broken, I need to be fixed, to no, no, I'm good, I need someone else or something else to change. So her pitch, this is what she's saying, to get people to come into her door to talk to them about their problems was I treat people with depression, anxiety, and now her pitch is, are you having trouble with difficult people in your life? I can help. That's our society and where it's moved. We're not the problem. That's not the gospel. The gospel says we are the problem. The gospel aims directly at you. Peter's sermon says you crucified Christ. Unhappiness is not due to your spouse or your work situation. Rather, something in our heart is wrong, it is dead, it is dissatisfied. What we need is not a change of circumstance, but a new heart which comes alive through the gospel of Christ and which gives us a devotion to his word and which changes the way that we think. We'd be devoted to this word that speaks truth. Or get around people that speak the truth of the word of God that are willing to share with you the truth of the word of God. Do you have a daily reading plan? If not, we can help you with that. My wife actually came up with this illustration. She's working in junior worship this morning, so I'm gonna give full credit to her. But her, her application of this was thus. Your cell phone, right? You have it. You're attached to it. What if you lose your cell phone for 20 minutes? How do you feel? Do you feel get disconnected? Do you feel alone? Do you feel like you need to talk to someone? What if someone's talking to you? What will you miss out on? Now multiply that times days and weeks. And how can we not hear the word of God one day, let alone a few hours or weeks? Here's a few diagnostic questions to help you with where you are. Number one, do you understand the gospel? That is which gives you the desire to be devoted to the word of God. 
Are you sitting under the authority and the teaching of the word of God regularly and humbly? Are other brothers and sisters admonishing you with the word? Meaning, are they speaking truth to you with the word of God? Are you submitting to the hard truth and repenting in light of it? Are you being renewed in the gospel daily? Are you teaching the Bible to others in your household, in your community group, in your spheres of influence, in your workplace? Are you devoted to the word of God, the apostles' teaching? The second one, into, and the fellowship. And they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. We combine the breaking of bread and fellowship into one here, obviously because of the three points. But here it is. Spirit-filled churches have koinonia with Christ and with one another. Spirit-filled churches have koinonia, that word fellowship, with Christ and with one another. The word fellowship in our translations is koinonia. Now, what is the first thing that comes to our mind when we think fellowship? We often think bunko night, right? That's what we think. At least some of us do. I got a little laugh in the back left corner. I appreciate you back there. Thank you for that laugh. Uh, What do you think about when you think about fellowship? No, we think about social gathering. Yet the word here, koinonia, it means fellowship, participation, communion, association, or partnership. There's a much deeper understanding of this level of commitment. When we think of a bunko night or a fellowship night, we think of no commitment whatsoever. And yet the word of God tells us the commitment that we have to one another in the gospel as the church. Let me read them to you. It's a long list, so strap in. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Romans 12, 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 15, 14, instruct one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, the members would have the same concern for each other. Galatians 5.13, serve one another through love. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.2, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Philippians 2.3, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. 
Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, always pursue what is good for one another. Hebrews 10.24, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. James 4.11, don't criticize one another. James 5.9, do not complain about one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another without complaining. 1 Peter 5.5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. 1 John 4.7, love one another because God is love. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4.12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us. I wanted to read those to you to show you the impact of fellowship or koinonia is within the body of Christ. It is not a surface level of meet and greet. Rather, it is a deep love for one another. This partnership or koinonia, is first established by our fellowship with God and with Christ. But this fellowship with God is to be lived out in fellowship with one another. 1 John 1.3 says this, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, spirit-filled churches have koinonia with Christ and with one another. The breaking of bread in verse 42 is the breaking of bread of meals or community as well as communion or participation in the Lord's Supper. We did this last week. We were reminded that we deeply communed as we meet with God, with one another, and remember the sacrifice of Christ through the bread and the drink. Last week I mentioned how Moses, the Lord, invites him up with some of his people, his leaders, to go up to the mountain to meet with the Lord. And guess what they do there? They eat and they drink. This participation with God and one another, that's what we do at the Lord's Supper. Partnership with one another as we sit at the Lord's table together. We go as far to say if people are out of fellowship with Christ, then most likely they will be out of fellowship with the church. If people are out of fellowship with Jesus' people, most likely it's an indicator that they are out of fellowship with Jesus. 
That's how strong the Christ church union is. How can someone have fellowship with Christ but not his bride? The gospel is to be lived out through the power of the Spirit with people. Christianity is not meant to be lived out alone. I want to mention something else as a, as a point of this fellowship or this communion. Verse 46. And day by day, they, they, they had this deep understanding and love for each other. They were not just meeting once in a while. They were meeting daily. They were touching base daily. Attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What are they doing? They're having a large worship gathering in which there's sound teaching being taught. And then they're gathering in smaller communities in homes. This was being done as they applied the message and were hearing with one another. Here's the problem. If you're trying to be friends with everyone in this room or everyone online in our church, you really never get to deep relationship with people. This is why we have the community group where you can develop intimate relationships with people so that you can live the gospel out in relationship with one another. Here's some diagnostic questions for you. Do you have fellowship with God through Jesus? Are you working at building deep relationship with others in the church? Could it be that you love the idea of community more than the actual people in your church? Are you complaining about a lack of community rather than asserting yourself to serve and uh, and love others in your congregation. Luke 10 talks about Jesus sending out the 72, and when he sends out the 72, he tells them not to bring anything with them. He tells them to go to the house, say, peace be this house, and they receive you, eat what is set before you. That's basically a summary. Why does he do that? Because he wants them to develop relationships from the beginning. How do you develop relationships with people? You ask them for help. Literally. Ask people for help. And if they respond with, yes, I will help you, automatically you begin to bond over a relationship. Wife, if you're having struggle, having a relationship with your husband, ask him for help. And godly husbands respond to your wife, ask for help, okay? But this is how you build relationship with one another. And you see, even in this passage, that they're giving of themselves to one another. They're helping those in need. And what ends up happening is gospel relationships. What ends up happening is someone helps someone, and then they, in turn, help someone else. It begins this chain of gospel-centered relationship, community, and people going, what can I do? What can I give? Where can I serve? How do I love? Instead of, who's going to love me? Who's going to invite me? Where do I go? Verse 42, 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread, communion with Christ and with one another, and to prayers. Spirit-filled churches are ignited by prayer. This is point number three this morning. Spirit-filled churches are ignited by prayer. Prayer is that which ignites the spirit of the living God to speak through God's people to pray. Spirit-filled people pray. Why? Because the spirit speaks through them in prayer of what God's will and his way is. Why? Because when we ask God in prayer and God answers our prayer, he receives glory. When we say, oh, I can do that ourselves," there is no glory to God. Thus, when we see the power of God, we always see it done through prayer. What happens when the disciples gather in Acts chapter one? They gather, then tongues of fire fills the room. They're praying as this is happening. Fire fills the room. In chapter four, they're gathering for for prayer and the place was shaken and they're all empowered with boldness. In Acts chapter 12, the believers are praying for Peter who is in prison. James has just been beheaded. And Peter knocks on the door as they're praying. Peter is there having escaped prison. Prayer is the result of the gospel so overwhelming someone that the grace of God overpowers them that they they realize they can do nothing apart from Christ. They're devoted to prayer. Why? Because they're completely dependent upon the Lord. When the people are unified in a humble heart attitude of prayer, what will happen? The mighty works of God because it is all for his glory. So they devote themselves to teaching the word, to fellowship with the Lord and one another and to prayer and they saw the spirit of the living God work amongst them. Look at verse 44. We haven't even gotten there yet. We're almost done. Verse 43, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They had this awe the spirit of the living God working in their midst. They saw these wonders and signs affirming what they're saying is true. In verse 45, this devotion to the word, koinonia with the Lord and prayer led them to be generous givers selling their possessions, giving to those who had needs. Some people read this and go, well, I guess the early church was communist or redistributors of wealth. But the reality is these people are giving out of the abundance of their 
heart. They're giving because they want to give. It was not because they had to. Obviously, they did not sell their homes. They're meeting in their homes. They wanted to give. This is how we operate at Northwest. We don't make anyone tithe. We don't make people give offerings to help facilitate gospel ministry. We ask our people to freely give based upon the Lord has placed on their heart to give. 10% is a good start. But gospel giving is everything. Giving it to the Lord because it's all his. Generosity is a sign of the spirit of the living God living inside of his people. And day by day, attending the temple together, verse 46, and breaking the bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oftentimes we say, we need this program. We really need this outreach strategy. We really desperately need this or that to bring people into the kingdom of God or bring people into our church. This is what Jesus says in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, the church is built to reflect the glory of God. What we see in Acts is the spirit-filled community attracted people to add to their number day by day those who are being saved. Why? Because they're hearing the gospel and then they're seeing it lived out in community with one another. Why? Because people see Jesus in his church. We were at a BGCO evangelism conference a while back. Lee Strobel, who wrote Case for Christ, Case for a Creator, gave a statistic talking about the impact of small groups or what we would call community groups at Northwest. He said, you know that 80% of people who are non-believers who attend a small group end up becoming Christians? Did you get that? 80% of non-believers that enter into a Christian community that see the gospel lived out end up becoming Christians. He said they, the magnitude of someone actually caring about them and showing Christ's love to them within a small group impacts people on a level unimaginable. He told us a story about a woman whose daughter had come to Christ in their youth group. She was not happy about it because she was an atheist. And they were launching small groups in their church and 
She came up in, to Lee and said, you know what, I'm going to a small group tonight. And he knew she was an atheist. And he said, that's great. And she said, I'm gonna go so that I can watch the people squirm when I ask the hard questions. Lee smiled at her and thought to himself, well, I'm glad she's not in my group. He said months later, he was doing baptisms and he was getting ready and there she was, standing in her robe as he was about to baptize her. He said, he almost fainted and said, what happened to you? She said, you know what? The people in my small group, they loved me. When I asked hard questions, they loved me when I was sick in the hospital. They called me when I missed a meeting. They genuinely cared about me when I saw, and I saw Christ's love through them. And it allowed me to hear the gospel and understand it. And now I'm ready to tell people I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the impact a spirit-filled church can have. I believe the Lord is doing something great and mighty at Northwest that we can never imagine. Let us remember what God wants to do in and through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your truth, the gospel message which brings about change in our hearts and our minds. Lord, open our heart to be willing, to be vulnerable with people, to give our heart to one another because you are good, not because our neighbor is good, not because the person sitting next to us is good, not because our community group leader is good, but because you are good and you have given us Grace, Help us to have grace for one another as we live in gospel-centered community with one another. Father, open our hearts to our shortcomings, our faults, our fears, our failures. Help us to be able to open up those things with one another in the body of Christ. To be able to speak truth and insert the gospel message into the darkest places of our heart. Let us be real, not fake. Because that's what you desire, Father. Community that loves and encourages and offers grace to one another. We thank you for this body. We thank you for the grace that they have shown me and my family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.